Welcome to the Seek Go Create podcast. This is Tim Winders, your host. Thank you for downloading and listening. I want to just tell you how much I appreciate all the comments, the shares, the ratings, all of that. We've recently got some on, let's see, these are from Apple, I believe, where you're able to give reviews and actually uh, give written reviews, which is greatly appreciated. Here's one from B Podcast 11. Give us five stars. They say, Tim offers not only valuable, but real tips and insights. His stories are interesting and just have so much wisdom. Looking forward to more content. Thank you. I greatly appreciate that. And uh, let's see. Here's another one from Pull Up Now. Useful leadership series. That must have been from our season three leadership series. Valuable information. Well presented. There are many takeaways and a different approach to applying leadership. Thank you for that. Pull Up Now. We really do appreciate all the feedback. And and if you have not given us a review or rated us or written a review, please go do that, especially on Apple. Apple, that's where they actually give us boost and it gives us extra juice and we just also love hearing hearing the feedback and hearing what you have to say if you do want to contact us or connect with us you can go to seekgocreate.com there's a place that you could send us a message you could see all the episodes you could actually you could actually give comments on each episode it's like a blog post so you can go do that or you can send us an email directly at connect at seekgocreate.com that's connect at seekgocreate.com and we'll make every effort to answer every email. If you have questions for myself or any of the guests, we will attempt to get those answers and possibly answer them on one of the future podcasts. Uh, Thank you again for participating, listening. Our goal is just to provide great content, great interviews, and value to you. Our guest today is Jerry Romine. He's also known as the Entrepreneur Abroad, and he's a digital nomad, really on a world tour. It's going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal episode. In May of 2015, he sold off everything he owned, moved from the Phoenix, Arizona to Chiang Mai, Thailand. Thailand, I hope I pronounced that right. There he grew a fledgling Amazon business to seven figures, grew his investment portfolio, traveled the world, lived on a motorcycle for five months in South America. We're definitely going to be talking about that. And he even lived for free in in a million-dollar home with a car provided and so much more. Listen, this is going to be such a fun conversation. Jerry, welcome to the Seek Go Create podcast. Uh, Thank you very much, Tim. Uh, I'd say, you know, really, I was thinking earlier, you actually may be the poster guy for all this podcast stands for, just living life differently, living it to the fullest, uh, you know, being a nomad, doing business. You know, we're in the entrepreneur category, but yet we do travel and all types of things. So you're living best life possible. So real quick, before we get going, in your words, kind of tell us what you do, and then we're going to kind of find out where you are and all of that type stuff. What do I do? Oh man, Tim, that's a tough question. Uh, it really all depends. Like right now for the last month, I've been in Sofia, Bulgaria, and here I'm um, working a lot on the, the YouTube channel, trying to be a creator, getting that going. So it's been a lot of work, almost like a nine to five, like most people. The, the six months prior to that, I was in, oh goodness, uh, Portugal, Italy, Greece, Turkey, Morocco, Georgia and Armenia. And in most of those countries, I was spending about a month, sometimes a little bit more in each of those countries, touring around, sometimes uh, one or two days in a place, sometimes a couple weeks in one place, just getting to know the country. So I bounce back and forth. Yeah. So, so, but, but you are, you're in business. You're not really vacationing though, right? 
No, um, I'm in the, what I do is because everything I do online is online for generating money, I can do it from anywhere in the world. So I'm constantly traveling, but I can always, you know, check my work, sit down for an hour, a day, whatever is needed to get my work done at the same time. Yeah. And so, um, anyway, you, you just rattled off so many countries and all we're, I want to get to the travel in just a moment, but right before we pushed record, you told me just briefly about where you are. We won't take a tour of the home, but just give us a little bit of detail. You are doing work there, but you're in another country and uh, you could go and share pricing and all too, because I think people would, uh, would enjoy knowing that. Sure. So uh, right now I'm in the city of Sofia, Bulgaria, and it's uh, it's a nice city. I haven't explored very much of it, and it hasn't been anything over the top yet, but it's nice for me because I've got a really nice place here. I uh, picked it up on Airbnb. It works out to uh, $25.55 per night. It's, a, it's originally a two-bedroom place, but I only have access to one bedroom. So for me, it's a one-bedroom, two-bath, and I, I gave uh, Tim a quick tour of it, and he can vouch for it. It's a nice place. I've got a, a big table that seats six. It's got a lazy Susan on the top of it, countertop, uh, you know, for you know, bar stools, a small kitchen, big living room, big couches, big screen TV, cable, uh, high-speed internet, a big bedroom, separate bathroom in the bedroom, everything right there. And this whole thing is $25.55 per month. And, you know, I have no utility cost, nothing else. That's my biggest living expense right now. Yeah. You said, you said per night at first and then per month. I think it's still, it is per night, right? Oh yeah. I'm sorry. It's, yeah, it's 20, it's $25 and 55 cents per night. So I was going to say that, which is awesome, but we have to be careful. Otherwise you're going to be like overrun with people coming there. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing I, I want, you and I are going to have some pretty good conversations about money and business but one of the things that's cool to me just came to mind as we were as you were just saying that I believe there are many people and I know you you're originally based in the United States and a lot of people in the United States or whatever country they're in rarely get outside of where they grow up and live and what you just shared probably would be a bit surprising to people that in a country many people aren't really aware of, you could have such incredible accommodations, wouldn't you think? Yeah, you know, um, I tra- I've been traveling, you know, for five years, uh, pretty much full time. The longest I was in one place was Chiang Mai, Thailand, and I stayed there for just about one year. And even though I travel full time, my average daily cost of living is well under $100 per day. And in many in many people's eyes, I'm living the dream and I'm spending a lot less per day than they are in their current lives. And I want to clarify one thing. When I talk about living the dream, I'm living my dream. I'm a big believer in whatever your dream is, you should pursue it. So if you want to retire in a small town in Ohio, man, bless you. Good for you. Go for it. Make it happen. If you want to travel the world and do something like I do or travel around a lot like Tim is doing right now in an RV, whatever floats your boat, go for it. Yeah, that's good. And you actually brought up a point, which is really one of my next questions. Most think that you have to have massive amounts of money or be super wealthy. And you've been successful in what you've done. We're going to talk about your businesses shortly. But what you're saying is to live the way you're living 
you don't really have to be multimillionaire, things like that, because really you're living in many ways less than a lot of people live in the States. I mean, yes, no, correct? Oh, it, it's so true. And when I left the U.S., I went to Chiang Mai, Thailand, and you can live in Thailand for less than half of what you're living for in almost anywhere in the U.S. And not only are you living for half, for me, my quality of life uh, went much, much higher. And let me explain that. A lot of people have a fear of moving abroad or living abroad. What am I going to do? There's a language barrier. And I tried learning Thailand and Thai kicked my butt. Let's be clear. I consider myself a fairly smart guy. I felt like an idiot savant when I was trying to learn Thai. I mean, it was such a humbling experience. But the difference is when I went to Thailand, I almost felt at home right away because there are other people that are like you and like-minded individuals. So you meet up with them and it's almost easier to meet people and meet friends. And Tim, I know you're interviewing me, but let me flip the tables on you real quick. You travel around in an RV. Would you agree that sometimes you pull into an RV park, you meet somebody and you're like long lost buddies in five minutes? You know, it, you're, you're absolutely correct. You get around people that are like-minded. We have someone on the other side of us where we are now that's a 26-year-old student doing medical school online. Now, how cool it is to have conversation with her. She's a single female. And, and then our son is in an RV unit. So, Jerry, you're absolutely correct. It's really a lot about thought process. Wouldn't you agree? It, it is. I mean, we make our own reality. And when I first moved abroad, I didn't know what I was getting into. I mean, I've traveled a lot, but I never really tried to settle down. And I was really surprised with how easy the process was and how easy I made friends. And I haven't lived in Thailand now in a couple of years. And later this year, uh, one of my friends from Thailand that I met, he and I were going over to India and we're doing almost three weeks on motorcycles uh, touring the Himalayas together. Wow. And, and I'm, you did a five-month tour of South America on motorcycle. I'm going to talk to you about that later because I know I want to know more about it. I kind of saw – in fact, that was my first thought was when I saw that on Facebook, I said, I got to talk to Jerry and because of what you're doing because you're just living differently. One of the things you've done, and I want to share this with people, and we'll put, we'll put links in the notes – You've started a YouTube channel to share about how you're doing, how you're traveling and how you're making money and, and a lot about your background and things like that. And, and, and there's some about money recently that I'm going to ask some specific questions, but I want to shift just slightly. And I want to ask you, Jerry, you and I met way back when, with, when we were around some of the brightest marketing and business minds in the world, in the Dan Kennedy world. And, and I want to ask you, what is your relationship with money? A lot of people get really weird when we talk about money. I get the impression that you are very comfortable with money. You know, I, I love that question. I'm going to answer it in a couple of parts. The first is, what's my relationship with it? And I would say it's respect. And I respect money in the same way that you respect a tool, uh, whether it's a hammer, a screwdriver, or a gun. It can do a lot of good or it can do a lot of harm. And it depends on the person that's behind it. So the, the, sh the short answer is it's one with respect. Now, when you ask me about being comfortable with money, um, yes, I'm comfortable with money, but there's a longer answer on that. And for since I was at a young age, you know, probably 12, 13, 14, I went, I knew that I wanted to pursue, you know, getting wealthy. And for the longest time, I wanted to make a million dollars. Didn't have a clear idea on really what a million dollars was or what it 
meant, but I had that goal clear in my mind. And so I worked very hard to pursue that goal. And I actually have had a couple of different businesses over the years that have done very well. But the funny thing was that sometimes the money didn't stick with me. And it's, I, it's really, I'm not a touchy-feely, woo-woo, into crystals type of a guy, but I can tell you that when it comes to money, when you're ready, the, the money can come to you. And it wasn't until I really got to right in my life, I'm not going to say right in my head because I don't know that that was it, but when I got everything right, the money just started to seem to flow better. And I don't know if that fully makes sense or not, Tim. I don't know what your journey has been, but, but hopefully I'm uh, conveying something that you can follow. Yeah, it makes sense because, I mean, our journeys have been different but yet similar. We've had successful companies, real estate that we, uh, you know, lost quite a bit when the downturn occurred. You and I may have a conversation about that shortly. But but I, I realized that I was pursuing a lot of things without having a mindset of, you know, we talk about the attraction and things like that. And I, I do think there's a spiritual aspect to money, too. I'm, I'm an engineer, so I'm not necessarily as, you know, you know, woo-woo either, like you mentioned. But there is something more to it than just the physical paper that a lot of people think that it is. So I, I love that. Now, one of the recent videos, and I recommend everyone go check this out. You did a YouTube video on that as, at the time we're recording this on how you became a millionaire. And there's a number of things on here, but I, I saw on that that you mentioned, I'm going to ask you some questions about that, that you're growing up, your mother instilled a work ethic. You mentioned that really quickly on the video, but I bet there's more to it than just that short statement. Tell us about that. Oh, boy. Um, my mother, she is uh, quite the woman. She came to this country as an immigrant and had to uh, learn the language. And I remember when I was growing up as a kid, she was in real estate. And this was back in the, in the 70s. And she would, uh, you know, started off, you know, selling real estate and selling in investments. And I remember her on a typewriter, you know, those, you know the old unpacked things that you did. And she would uh, type up letters to, to sellers, much like we did in a similar fashion uh, later on with computers, to send out the letters to get investors. And what happened with her was uh, she was selling the investments. And then in the late 70s or early 80s, a recession hit and nobody was willing to uh, buy the properties. So she became a real estate investor and started buying the properties. And, and this was a completely different term than what we grew up in where the interest rates were, you know, in the low 20%. You talk about a different game in real estate altogether. And she went through all of that time and she's always been a workaholic. Fast forward today, she still has a real estate brokerage office and she's, you know, the broker and owner. Uh, last year she was realtor of the year. She's, I think she's 75 years old. She'll, she won't get mad if I miss by a year or two. She might be 76. She still goes ice camping with crampons. And, you know, those are the spikes that you put on shoes. And she, you know, she climbs mountains, does ice camping. And whenever we get together, uh, you know, we'll go out and we'll do hiking or different things like that. And, you know, I've got to work to keep up with her. So she's been a real huge part of my inspiration for living, for health, for attitude. And she's not slowing down. So as you were coming along, and you and I are, um, I don't, I, I believe you're a few years younger than me. I think you're, um, I think in your late 40s, almost 50, and I'm in my mid-50s. But our generation, we kind of had a work ethic in the way we grew up, but it sounds like you got double doses of it from watching your mother. 
Yeah, she's, I, I, I can't even tell you if she's ever watched TV or anything. She's in work mode, even, even to this day. You know, she gets up at about uh, 5.36 in the morning, depending on the time of the year. She's out the door, 6.30 to 7, goes straight to the office. She works, and then she only comes home early enough most of the time in the spring and summer months so she can work her garden because that's important to her. And then she works a few more hours at night, goes to bed, and it's wash, rinse, repeat, except for one day on the weekends, and occasionally two, and she likes to take one day off to go hiking somewhere, and that's about it. I can't even hardly get her to take off at 3 p.m. in the afternoon to go get a piece of pie, because nope, 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 I've gotta be working. <laughs> so uh, that's her work ethic. So that's pretty driven. Now you mentioned, and you said she's come to this country, but you're in a different country. That was the U.S. that she's in. What was her heritage? Where did she come from? Uh, she came from uh, Germany. Ah, so, so your background is German. All right, very, very cool. Well, you can't you can't tell by the big nose. Come on, come on. Well, ben. yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> for those podcasts, li- for those listening on your podcast, you can't see that visual, but uh, both the nose Jerry, is huge. <laughs> but both Jerry and I have pronounced uh, proboscis uh, our noses. So anyway, so that work ethic. All right, so so that was critical. Now. There's another piece in that How I Became a Millionaire video that I enjoy. There's really a couple things, but one was on the flip side of the work ethic, you talk about, you use a term that's, that's I think kind of a cool term. You talk about all the ballers online that are just blowing through money and they're renting airplanes and houses to show off their wealth. And and listen, I've seen a lot of that too. I, I did a multi-level marketing business back during the 90s and it was almost as if people showing, you know, lifestyle was what the business was. And there was some good things to it, but that was not very positive. But you say, you talk about entrepreneurs blowing through money, but then you also do the flip side of living below your means. And you obviously have latched onto that very well. Talk about that for a moment and educate us on what that means. Okay. Well, on the video, I talked about, uh, you know, the ballers portraying a lifestyle and a lot of it being fake. And the reason I did that is because if you watch the media, it or or you watch youtube or these different things for your listeners i think that there's a really big dangerous mistake that people see that and they think that it's normal and you know for for some of these guys it, it really is their normal life but for most people out in the real world that's not uh, that's not the way to get wealthy and to get ahead and it's a very dangerous lifestyle so i wanted to offset that with the reality and for me, the reality is I've always been a, a big saver. I've always been frugal. I don't like to, you know, I don't like to blow money for the sake of blowing money. I back in the old days when I used to fly a lot, I had so many miles that I always flew first class because there were free upgrades. But I don't, I don't fly first class. Uh, you know, very, very rare. I can't even tell you the last time I've done it. It's not that I can't afford it. It's just that I think that it's a, a waste of money. And I'm six foot three. It's not necessarily a comfortable seat, but I'm just too tight or frugal to spend that extra money, uh, you know, to sit in the seats. And I, I just consider it, uh, you know, money better saved and, and invested. So I've always been conscious of saving money because the more money I could save, the more that my money can work for me. Yeah. I want to circle back. Did anything about the way you were raised with your mother impact that lifestyle absolutely uh, i you know my, my mother she's been been through different cycles like like all of us have on on the wealth scale you know up it and down it and i remember one time in, in our lives that uh, if, i learned this you know later on 
on that you know she was you know pretty well to do financially and i mean she had surpassed that that million dollar mark in you know equity values and a fair amount of cash and different things and as kids uh, my brother and i we had no clue because it didn't change anything about the way we lived and you know, most of the time, whenever all of this was happening, uh, or for a good number of years, we actually grew up on a real small, uh, I'd call it a mini farm, because it wasn't huge, big, big barn. We had livestock animals, butchered our own our own animals and all that stuff. And, you know, uh, we were living in a double wide mobile home. It turns out she was, you know, worth a fair, fair amount of money even then, and it didn't matter. And I think that uh, humility is what's always stuck with me. And I think being humble is one of the most endearing qualities that, uh, qualities that anybody can have. Yeah, that's good. You know, I, I wanted to ask you this. This is something that kind of popped in my head as you were talking about it. And I love that term you use, the ballers on, online. But don't you think, and I mean, you're doing some things on YouTube now. I'm, I obviously have a podcast. I know we're both on social media. Don't you think that the celebrity, I'll call it the celebrity influencer culture, is feeding a lot of, oh, maybe it makes it tough for people to, I guess, be kind of real and live below your means because it's almost encouraging people to stretch and go beyond. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you nailed it. And the, the, the reason why it's out there is because, you know, drama sells. It's a lot more sexy to, you know, see the Ferrari and the hot women and the cleavage and all that stuff. You know, that draws people in in a major way than it is to see a guy driving up in a Honda dressed in blue jeans and a flannel shirt. Uh, you know, which one, I mean, even you, even me, which one do we want to watch? Well, you know, the, the drama side is more entertaining. And because of that, it gets more eyeballs. And in the world we live in, that's what it's all about. I mean, just look at Kim Kardashian. I mean, that's one train wreck of, uh, of um, a show. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, I mean, what value is there in that? Yet she has millions of followers, and you and I, we can count them on our on our on our hands uh, with small multiples. <laughs> so it is. You tell me. But there is a certain degree of you know you put your head on the pillow at night, being comfortable with, I don't know if authenticity or integrity. I don't know what the right word is, but I'm guessing I, I feel like I can do that. That's one of the reasons why I, I really wanted to talk to you. I'm guessing that you can see through a lot of that superficialness out there. Can you? I think you can. And I mean, you get a pretty good sense for people right away. And, and you mentioned the video that I just put out recently on, on how I became a millionaire. And it's kind of funny because for me, um, I'm normally a very private person, but because of what I'm doing on YouTube, it served a purpose to talk about it. And very few people had any idea of my real business success, my failures because I'm so private or, or what I was worth. And, uh, you know, I've had several people contact me since then, you know, that said, man, I, I didn't know. And that's how I liked it. I'd much rather normally be the quiet guy than the guy bragging about things. So, you know, for me, I think the humility works. And, you know, if you really want to get rich and stay ahead, the best thing you can do in most situations is stay quiet. It's even a form of asset protection. You know, if, if people think you're worth nothing, you're not worth suing. And that's a good thing. Yeah, that is a good thing. All right. You mentioned it. So I'm going to kind of drill down a little bit more. I believe it's difficult to go through life and business as an entrepreneur without having hopefully tremendous ups and some downs. And we haven't shied away on this podcast, Jerry, about some of our background and you know, some business failures. We've talked about successes and things like that. But 
in in how to, how you became a million that video you talk about some ups and downs successes and failures and listen we were we were all doing real estate in 08 and things like that what can you share about let's just call it failures i think when we look back on them they may not be they could have just been experiences but what can you share about that maybe a little more detail than you did on the on the youtube video because i think people learn from that Oh boy. Well, let me start off by saying, you know, the, the crash of 07 and 08 hammered me. Um, I got humbled in a major way. Me too. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, owned, I owned a fair amount of properties in Arizona and Hawaii. And, you know, Hawaii's, uh, even though I was on the big island, it's not, not called the, it's not the cheap island. So I had a lot of properties. And when the markets took a turn and they hit Hawaii really hard and values dropped over 50%, so to, to say that I, I lost it all would be an understatement. I mean, I got hammered, credit, you name it, and I had to come back. And that was a catalyst for me for changing my lifestyle, which I got into. I wanted something that wasn't geographically dependent, which got me to where I am now. So the failures can serve, serve us in so many ways. One, we can learn from them and we can grow from them. And that's major. And two, you know, they really make us who we are. If you want to play the safe road, you know, go get a factory job, even though factory jobs used to be good for 20 plus years. It's not the case anymore, but you, know, you get what I'm saying. You, yep. you go for the safe job. You never take any chances. And at the end of it all, you hope that retirement and Social Security and the government's going to take care of you. Um, I'm all for saying, you know, heck no. Uh, I'm keeping it clean for the show. Uh, there, there's no way. I want any part of that that lifestyle. And if you want to get ahead, you've got to take a risk. And there's nobody that got ahead in business, that got ahead in sports, that got ahead in anything without putting in the time and having successes and failures and learning how to get through it. Right. And Jerry, I want to there's a there's a word you mentioned earlier. You talked about humility, which in a lot of business circles is not a word that people bring up. And. And, and, and I remember meeting you years ago and I kind of watch what you're doing now and you may remember me. And, you know, one of the things that I believe these experiences do, the positive of it is it just emphasizes the need for humility. What talk about maybe a little bit your personality before and then how just this journey has impacted humility and and we've already talked about your relationship with money because I think there's value there and I think there's a generation coming behind us that need to hear it. Okay, I'm going to rewind the clock uh, a long ways back and I went in the service uh, when I was 18 and I went into the Marine Corps and pretty much the main reason you go into the Marine Corps is for ego. You've got the other services that can offer all kinds of different things but the biggest draw to the Marine Corps is ego. You're the biggest, you're the baddest, you're the best. So at that stage in my life, uh, that's, that's where I was. And, you know, I graduated high school in three years. Um, you know, I've got a master's degree uh, with 4.0 average. So I like to consider myself a fairly bright guy. And the military was really, really good for me because I went in enlisted. And when you go in on the enlisted side, you have to take orders from those people that outrank you and everybody outranked me. So my first really big lesson in humility was the Marine Corps. And I got hammered uh, there pretty well with having to learn my place. And I mean, I've had all kinds of extra duties and different things from it. So that was a humbling experience. And then from there, I went straight into the real estate world. 
And, you know, part of it was the being headstrong in your youth. And then I think as you get older and wiser and more experienced, uh, there can be for some a natural graduate, a, a, a natural course where you just simply get more humble and you respect wisdom. And, you know, some of the people that I met along the way, uh, you know, taught me humility. There was one gentleman and he owned a really a multi, multi-million dollar ranch. And he was as down to earth as they come. We'd get together. He wore you know, cowboy boots, blue jeans, uh, a flannel shirt, super humble. You'd have no idea just how humble he was or what he owned and did. Another gentleman I knew, uh, you probably uh, know his name anyway, or his company. You ever heard of Jeldwin? Yes. Yeah, Jeldwin. They, 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 Dick, yeah, that's right. Jeld, Jeldwin, uh, they, they make uh, doors and windows. They own timber all over the world, including in, in Russia. And I, I was in a small town in Oregon called Klamath Falls. And at one point in my time, I, I played a lot of tennis and uh, I went to the first college in the world where you get a degree in tennis. And I was a licensed uh, tennis pro for a very brief period of my life. And one of my friends played tennis and was friends with Dick Wint. Well, Dick Wint was the second richest man in all of, in all of uh, Oregon. I mean, the only guy that had more money than him was the Nike founder. And I remember playing tennis with Dick and super humble guy drives up in an old beat up Jeep. That's who he was. I knew where, where he lived and it was nothing. I mean, it was a nice place, but it wasn't over the top millionaire mansion or anything like that. And I was just always impressed with how humble he was. And in this town, at one time, a Home Depot style store opened up in the town. And for the guys that were doing a lot of uh, business with in that sort of an industry, we were all invited for the pre-opening. And I remember showing up at that pre-opening and walking around. And guess who was there? Dick went. Guess who was with him? Nobody. And, and I mean, he had like one or two aisles that were nothing but Jeldwin products. And he was just simply walking the aisles all by himself. And I've just always admired people that were like that. So I've worked hard to be like that myself. So he didn't have handlers or a posse or photographers or any of that around him? No, no. And, and he could have bought almost all of the all of the, the baller millionaires online out there today. So <laughs> <laughs> I love that term. I was hoping to provoke you to say it again. So anyway, well, you, one thing you mentioned, and I think you may have covered this, but I just want to ask it a different way because I had written it down, but you kind of went there. Um, you said that some of the challenges you went through became a catalyst for the way you're living now. Uh a little bit more on that talk about you know obviously you were in real estate so you believe that homes and things like that are awesome and you mentioned geographic specific but talk a little bit about more some people don't even know what geographic specific means okay well let's start off with geographic specific so for me at that time i was heavily involved in real estate which tied me to a geographical area i lived in phoenix arizona and i also did business in on the big island in hawaii so i would go between the two for different projects and that kept me tied to the area where the what the catalyst for the all that changing was when the markets crashed and i got hammered i knew that I could get back into real estate and make money. I had the skill set. I understood the markets, uh, you know, had crashed, but you know, I think we all knew that they were going to come back and it wasn't the end of the world. So we, we had the skill sets, but I decided, you know what, I really don't want to do it. My heart just wasn't in it after you know, getting everything uh, stripped down and taken away that way. So that was a catalyst for me to do something new, but I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. 
And at that time, I decided uh, I've got a marketing background, so I decided to become a Facebook marketer. And I got my butt kicked in that for uh, about a year. And then I called up a friend of mine and asked him for help, paid him to mentor me, where I went out and spent a week with him. And that led to a very good couple of years that were very profitable for me as a Facebook marketer. And this was back in the heyday of Facebook. I was headhunted by a company that was an API partner with Facebook. And I mean, we really killed it for a good time frame. but you know, that all things change and eventually that changed. And that was the next catalyst for me uh, to make another change. So I ended up in Bali, uh, Indonesia with two friends of mine and we were gonna start a brand new business, but we all had different skill sets. We were all very accomplished in different fields, but we really didn't know what we wanted to do. So we went over to Bali hoping that we could uh, come together and work on something big. That didn't work out, but while I was there, I met two guys that were killing it on Amazon and thus began the Amazon adventure. Yeah, that's cool. So that, and there's like two or three different directions that I would love to go here. And I want to dive into the travel more, but there's another YouTube video you have that I highly recommend people listen to. And we'll, again, we're going to put links down in the notes. It was the top seven financial mistakes. And I believe that experiences we have, the experiences you've talked about, really allow people to have credibility when they talk about mistakes. But there's seven of them there. I'm only going to ask you about one of them here. There's one point you make and you talk about investing in you or investing in yourself. Can you give us some tips, some pointers, maybe your background, what you've done? Because many people think they understand that, but they really don't. So share with us some on investing in yourself. Okay. You know, I think that's one of the most important things that anybody can do. And the reason why is I look at, you know, learning at, and investing in yourself in a, in a simple way. Either you're learning and growing, or when you stop learning, you start dying. And because of that, I always want to be moving forward and learning. And, you know, how could I go into that deeper? Um, I, you know, I started at a, at a young age and, you know, at that time, real estate was my thing. Then I progressed into different businesses and ventures. And if we don't always continue the journey, you know, we're not going to be able to take advantage of what's out there. I mean, look, look at us right now. We're doing podcasts and, you know, social media and YouTube. You know, 20, 25 years ago, none of that was even available in any way, shape, form or context. And of all the things that you that you do and who you are, the person that's most in charge of your success is going to be you. And why would you let that be a dead asset that wasn't constantly growing and improving? Yeah, absolutely. So what are, what are some of the things specifically? I, and, and I was going to ask later about your routines and rhythms, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it now. What are some things that you do right now, especially as you travel, which sometimes can mess up? I notice that I get a little bit out of out of sorts when I'm traveling or it's a move day or something. What do you do to to keep feeding you? Well, yeah, one thing I like to do is uh, I generally try to eat healthy, although that could be a real challenge uh, whenever you're on the road. And I'll go in cycles. Uh, right now, um, uh, I'm just about to turn 50. And one of my goals is I want to be ripped with a six pack of abs when I'm 50. And, uh, you know, right now I've got the, I, I definitely have abs. And I've, for two weeks, I've been on the egg diet where I'm eating about eight to nine eggs a day, a few vegetables, and that's about it. And so I've got discipline in the diet. So one thing I, I think 
you know, what we put in our, in our, in ourselves is very important. And there's a, an old preacher. Have you ever heard of Bob Harrington? Yeah, I heard him. Yeah, I've heard of that name. Yeah. Okay. So Bob Harrington was a real interesting guy, and he was a preacher that talked about money. But but even though he was religious, he talked about uh, you know. And, and forgive me, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but some people with religion have a bad relationship with money, and it, it can be a real challenge. And he talked about religion and having money as a really good thing. And one of the things that I always remembered from one of his quotes was, uh, this ain't no trash can with a hairy lid. So that, that always, uh, <laughs> that always, that always stuck with me. Another thing that I do is I really try to limit what I allow into my system. So I don't watch horror movies. Um, you know, I watch action movies, crime movies, and some different things, but I don't watch, you know, the flat out horror movies, you know, with the blood glut blood and guts and all that stuff because I don't want to put that into my system right it's just not me and then I always like to have uh, positive influences in in my life so I do some po positive and motivational reading it way back when I used to you know spend 30 minutes to an hour a day reading all the time these days admittedly I spend a little bit less but I still you know go to different places or locations to you know seek out that, uh, that material because I always want to you know, what you put in is what you get out. So I always want to make sure that it's positive and good coming in. And then I'm constantly, from an education standpoint, always trying to improve myself. So, you know, I watch countless YouTube videos to understand, you know, smash that like button, subscribe, what it means to have retention rates. And you're always uh, learning your craft. And whether it's, you know, real estate, marketing, YouTube, there's going to always be something to learn. And that's how I'm always investing in myself. Yeah, that's good. I, I think that's critical. And, you know, obviously someone listening to this, they're listening to a podcast and educating themselves. So that's 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 vital. And I'm definitely in agreement with that. All right. I'm I'm going to kind of shift here more towards the travel lifestyle, even though some of this will have some business and practical in it. And um, and, I, you know, I call these kind of rapid or random questions. Obviously, if I've written them down, they're not that random. So I don't know if that's a good a good way of saying it. I mean, you know, but uh, but first kind of question that and some of these actually came to me overnight. I kind of do prep a few days before and I sent you a few questions in advance. So some of these I actually you may not have seen. So don't be nervous because I know you know the answers to them. But how do you we get this question a lot. Glory and I do. I've been interviewed on some national radio shows recently. And one of the big questions they ask is, how do you plan where you go? When you're a nomad and you travel, do you just wake up in the morning? Is it spontaneous? Is it planned? I think you guys do kind of like us where y'all like to stay places a little longer. But how do you decide where you go? <laughs> you know, sometimes I don't even know the answer to that question. Um, oh, about two years ago, I was going to China to meet with uh, my manufacturers on uh, on different products. And oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I was going to Taiwan. I think it was Taiwan. And then when I went to the airport at Taiwan, they wouldn't allow me to check in for the flight because I didn't have my next ticket, an onward ticket to somewhere else. So there I am at the airport and I'm like, uh oh, what do I do? I said, well, give me 10 minutes. So I go over, pop up my computer and I decide, okay, I'm going to go to China and visit my manufacturers. And that was literally the decision was made that short and on the spot. Now it's a little more interesting where sometimes, you know, I, I try to plan out about four to six weeks because that's normally the best range to get airline tickets. So I'll normally pick my next place and my girlfriend, she's from the Philippines 
and the Philippines has a really uh, bad passport, so she can't travel as easily and freely as us. So this trip here, where we're in, we've been in uh, Europe quite a bit, she had to get what's called a Shenzhen visa, and there's an application process. And for that, uh, we wanted to spend 90 days in Shenzhen countries. So we had, or she had to apply for that visa and show a complete itinerary for each of the different countries and have tickets purchased for the, for the flights. And in that case, we planned out four months in advance so we could do it. But most of the time, unless we're doing something big like this, we try to plan it out four or five weeks in advance. Yeah. And I, I noticed just in doing a little bit of research, many of the times y'all stay places for like a month or so. I think you did Sicily for a month and Crete and you did Morocco and all that. Is there a time frame that's kind of y'all's sweet spot? Yes. Yeah, there's a there's a very big reason on why I like to spend a month in a country. I think if you spend you know a week or two in a country, it's kind of nice as a tourist and you get a tourist viewpoint of it. But if you sit down and you spend a month in a country, you get a, a real feel for the for the country, for what it's all about. You get into a routine to understand it. So if and when I'm traveling, I'm always looking for a place that I might want to call a part-time home. And because of that, I actually track all of my expenses so I can see what it's actually costing me to live. And I want to really get a feel for what it's all about because I might be coming back here for, uh, for a considerable amount of time. So I think that a month gives me a good time frame to make a judgment on a country. Yeah, that's good. We're, we actually find the same thing. People all the time that you talk to, they think we're on a permanent vacation. We don't really go on vacation. We tell people we just live our lives in cool places and we do our work and and we actually like to learn more about the local culture. And another thing we found, you may can chime in on this, we're not good tourists. <laughs> you know, we, are you, how about you guys? I mean, are y'all good tourists? It seems like y'all just kind of live also. Yeah, we, we bounce back and forth. Um, we, more often than not, we like to, you know, settle down and we, we'll do the top tourist attractions in a city to check it out. But, you know, we're a little bit older and more settled. So we're, we're happy to take, uh, take, take things a little bit slower. Although we just came back from uh, Morocco where we were for two weeks. And in Morocco, we were in a new, new location every, every one or two nights uh, checking things out. And so, you know, drive, set up, check everything out, next one. So, you know, we bounce back and forth and, and we talk about it sometimes because it's pretty funny that we can switch modes just like you switch a button on, on a switch. You know, it's just, you know, tourist mode, stay mode. And we go back and forth and have a good time with both. Yeah, that's good. Uh, knowing what you know now, what's the best place you've traveled? And I don't know how I want to define best. I mean, it could be cost or there's a term that Gloria and I use that it nourishes our soul. We just feel really good there. Um, what's the best place you've gone to? Let me preface that with how I, how I look at where I travel. So when I'm looking at countries, I look at them like most people look at a hotel. How much does it cost and what are the benefits? If I'm in a five-star place, I want to pay, you know, I understand that I'm paying, you know, a lot of money for it, but I have all of those experiences that, that come along with it. Is it worth it? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. If I'm at a three-star hotel, same thing. If I'm at a one-star hotel, you know, I don't think you should ever go to McDonald's and complain that the food is bad because it's McDonald's. If, if it's warm, it pretty much met expectations. So in these different countries, uh, I personally really like traveling in developing countries. And for me, I get more bang for my buck in those countries. And 
it's just a much better value for me in, in different countries. And that's why I love them so much. That's why South America was so much fun because most of it is in a developing state. As to answer your question of what's a favorite country for me, I was blown away with two countries about six months months ago. I spent um, about a month and a half, two months in the country of Georgia, and then I spent another month in Armenia. And those countries blew me away. They've got a low cost of living, which is you know really nice. They've got uh, the housing. I mean, everything is nice. The food in both countries is phenomenal, and the people. You know, they're kind, they smile, they're easy to get along with. So I really felt at home in those countries and it's a place that I could consider. And as chance would have it, I'm actually going back uh, next month and I'll, let me take it on a tangent here real quick. So I'm going back to Georgia and while I'm there, you know, I had kind of an active life and I beat my body up over the years. And so my back is not always 100% happy with me. And I'm going to Georgia where I'll have a stem cell therapy done. It's gonna cost me $5,000 and that same treatment would cost $20,000 or more in the US. So just to give you an idea for, for value for money. And you know, I, I think given those two choices, yeah, I'll take Georgia. That's cool and, and you know that, we have such an interesting healthcare system worldwide, and I've heard that with some people that there are places in other parts of the world. You know, funny story about the country of Georgia. We were in Australia, and we were invited to a dinner party in Brisbane, and and these people were coming, and they were so excited to meet us. And and when they said, "Oh, we've heard you're from Georgia," and and my wife and I said, "Yes, we're from Georgia. We're just outside of Atlanta." <laughs> and you could see their faces just visibly show disappointment when they found out we were from the state of Georgia in the United States, not the country of Georgia. So it was it was not that fun of a dinner party after that. We found out we were not that intriguing to them. So we've heard that that's awesome. Where's where's a place that, you know, we don't want to we don't want to speak poorly because there's cool people in cool places all over the world, but where's a place that you're okay not going back to? There's no place that I'm not okay going back to. And the the reason why is the the world changes so frequently that I don't want to prejudice one area with an experience uh, that I had that might not be relevant anymore. That's good. And you know one one example of a place that I haven't been that, that I think everybody will see right away is Venezuela. It wasn't that long ago that Venezuela was the richest country in all of South America. Fast forward a few years, and now they're in a state where when I took my motorcycle trip through South America, I avoided it because it just wasn't worth the risk and it was too dangerous. Well, I think in a couple of years, hopefully Venezuela is going to pull out of it, and I'd be more than happy to go there. Another place that comes to mind is, and this one's really popular with a lot of the expats, and that is uh, the country of Colombia. I spent, uh, oh gosh, probably five or six months, maybe more in Colombia over the last two years in uh, the town of Medellin. And it's a nice town, a uh, good cost of living. Food's okay, uh, I'm not, I, I prefer Mexican food. It's just got more flavor and more spice. But what I don't like about Medellin is after dark, it, you simply don't walk around by yourself because it's too much of a risk. and. I never had any problems there. I've, I've had friends that have had problems, but I personally never had any problems. But I don't want to live in a place where I'm not comfortable letting my guard down and just relaxing. So Medellin, Colombia is a place that, you know, it was okay. I'm not thrilled about going back to it right at this moment, but give it a year or two. Yeah, I'd go back and check it out again. Yeah, that's good. Very, very good answer on that, by the way, because you are correct. We've noticed that. All right. We get this question all the time, so I'm going to ask you this question. 
Where where is your home base? Do you have a house? Where do you keep all your stuff? <laughs> well, uh, Tim, I became a minimalist, uh, not because I'm into the movement, but because I had no other choice. So uh, what happened is I sold off everything that I owned in Arizona. And in Arizona, I had, you know, a, a nice house. I had, you know, a classic car, a motorcycle, a, a truck, and, you know, everything was free and clear. So, you know, I owned all of it. And I had an old boat because I loved to wakeboard. I sold it all off. And the only thing that I kept was um, I, my family, you know, we, we grew up country. So, you know, we, we believe in guns and I own a few different guns. And so I've got uh, one big gun safe that's got my guns in it. It's got a few other valuables and all of that is stored with my best friend. And other than that, um, I don't have anything else uh, stored. And I travel with everything I own, which is one big suitcase, the type that you check on an airplane one carry-on size suitcase, which I really hate carrying, but I have to because it's got all of my motorcycle gear in it and motorcycle gear is not cheap. So I have to carry that suitcase with me for the few times a year whenever I do jump on motorcycles. And then I've got one backpack uh, that carries all of my electronical gear. And I'm a minimalist because, and this is where life gets really simple. And you could probably relate to this in a motorhome. And in your RV, you only have so much space. Well, in my suitcases, I only have so much space. So if I buy one shirt, that means that one shirt from my current stock is going to be left behind and thrown out because there's weight requirements on airplanes. So everything is a decision like, oh, I like that, but what am I going to throw away? So that's how I became a minimalist, uh, you know, because I had to become one. Yeah, I, I like that. And, you know, there's something liberating about that lifestyle, isn't there? Oh man, it's, you know, it, it's so funny that when, when I moved, I was, I had everything packed to, to the max. I think I might've even brought, no, no, I didn't bring an extra suitcase, but I was definitely over the weight limits and, and I was packed. Now my goal is all about getting down to, you know, the lightest and least amount possible. And that's why I hate carrying around my motorcycle gear because I don't use it that often, but I still have to lug it around. And it is so liberating and free. The, the less you have, the easier it is. You know, one thing for those that uh, we're actually videoing this so you and I can see each other, but for those listening on the podcast, I'm sitting here in the passenger seat of my RV in a black t-shirt and Jerry is sitting over where he is in his, in, in a black t-shirt. How many shirts and pants do you own? How many, how many shirts do you have? And do you have like all type of colors or do you have a few black shirts and that's it? Okay, well, I, I probably carry more clothes than I need to. Most of my clothes are, I've got a couple of items that are merino wool because they travel well, they don't hold, they don't hold odor, and they don't wrinkle too easily. I've got several other shirts that are dry fit shirts, and then I carry, I've got two pairs of blue jeans. I have one pair of, um, they're called trekking pants. Uh, so they kind of look like slacks and they can double for, a, for nice clothes. I got a couple of collared shirts and I carry, I carry one pair of black dress shoes. I rarely ever use them, but just in case I, I go out or something of that nature, I've got them and I've got one nice, uh, dress, two nice dress shirts. And I even carry a tie just in case. <laughs> I think I've gotten rid of a tie. I'm not sure. I think I'm like at 56 year old. I'm saying, you know what? I don't think there's a place that I'm going to be invited to that I need a tie. So anyway, yeah, that's really cool. And I know a lot of people are going, wow, that's interesting. You know, one of the things we find though, is there are not many places in the world that you can go to that you can't find something if you really 
needed? Or, or do you find that with the way you travel that like right now where you're at, you're in a city, you know, it's not a small town, it's a city. If you really needed something, you can most likely find it, right? Yeah, that, that, that is something that I learned really quickly, that no matter what you need, with rare exception, you can find it. The few exceptions are sometimes, you know, if you need uh, electronic things, and occasionally I might miss Amazon in the U.S., but even here, you know, I was able to call up Amazon, and I think I went through Amazon Spain, and they ship here, uh, so I was able to stock up on those items. But when it comes to everyday items, you know, clothes, uh household goods, anything you might need, you can always find it. And, you know, that's also part of the fun of, uh, for us, well, we like going to grocery stores whenever we're in a new country, because uh, just to see what they have and how nice it is. And sometimes, you know, we go to like in Armenia, oh, I, uh, I can't remember the, the name of the grocery store, but it put our grocery stores in the U.S. to shame. I, I mean, they had so many meats and cheeses unbelievable rows upon rows and one of my favorite parts where there was they have a big circular grill and this thing is massive you could probably fit 12 people around the outside of it and you can go there and order uh, your different meats all kinds of different things seasoned they throw it on this big old grill on spits and everything else and you come back in 10 or 15 minutes and you've got absolutely fresh amazing food you don't even have to go to the restaurant it's right there and you walk out and i mean that's a grocery store and so you know that's a fun experience but yeah you can get any, anything that you want in most of these countries yeah that's that's kind of neat and, and I, we love experiencing whatever is local if we can and uh that's that's neat to do couple i mean these are like logistics type questions i want to ask because i'm intrigued by this you mentioned earlier that uh that your girlfriend from the philippines can't quite travel as easily as you do i'm assuming you have a u.s passport but you know in in the news that a lot of people probably listen to too much they talk about travel and they really talk more about immigration but how challenging is it to move around um do you I mean, I'm going to ask kind of a personal question. You're going to answer no. Do you just have one passport? Do you have a passport from another country? I've always considered getting a second one if possible. Um, just talk briefly about that. And, and I know you also have some some hacking videos on YouTube that talk about some of these logistics. So um, talk a little bit about just moving around between countries. Sure. So for for me with the U.S., I have I have one U.S. passport and that's the only passport I have. I greatly wish that I had a second passport, uh, but unfortunately, I haven't found one yet. That's a good one that I can get easily. And the time I could uh, like my, my brother was born in Germany and he, I'm sure, could get a German passport if he wanted to. But the time frame that I was born and I was born in the U.S., I can't qualify. Otherwise, that would have been a wonderful passport to get. So if anybody knows of a passport I can get, I'm interested, send it to me. Um, as for traveling to the other countries, uh, it's it's not that hard at all. It's always just uh, a plane trip, a, a plane ticket to get to them. With a U.S. passport, I can go to most places easily. And sometimes uh, you ask me how I, how I plan trips. There's different places that I want to go, and then sometimes I'll just go on to Google, have Google Flights, and you can search anywhere, or I think it's with Google Flights, you leave it blank, and you can just see the price of tickets going to different places, and if there's a really good ticket somewhere, I'll be like, oh yeah, I'll go there, I'll do that, and and it's, you know, it's pretty easy, and being American, you know, most places, uh, they welcome you with open arms because they want your money. 
the challenge for, for me is traveling with my girlfriend because she's from the Philippines and that is a much, much bigger challenge and requires a little bit more planning. Yeah. Excellent. So, all right. Now this is kind of the, maybe the thing we really wanted to dive into. You spent um, five months living, traveling on a motorcycle in South America and and I was we were connected on Facebook, so I, I would see piece parts of it. You know how Facebook sometimes you see some of it, some of you see parts of it, and all. But I would love for you to just take. You know, we're, we're going to be wrapping up here in not too long, but take some time. Number one, what was the catalyst for that trip? Uh, maybe a, a brief bit about the planning, or did you just go and then and then just tell us some about it? I mean, it, it seemed phenomenal. So five months on a motorcycle in South America. Oh, five months. So the, the catalyst uh, for that trip was I uh, was in Thailand and I wasn't sure where I wanted to go next. And I've always wanted to do South America on a motorcycle. So I went to Colombia and uh, then once I got to Colombia, I had to get a motorcycle. So thus began the adventure of finding a motorcycle to buy one. And in some countries, it can be a real challenge to buy a vehicle whenever you're a tourist. Now, if you've got a, a long-term visa, it can be easier. Colombia was one of the countries where you could purchase a motorcycle as a tourist. So I had to go down and get on the register, which was the equivalent of a DMV, and you know, get on that register. And then with that, I was able to purchase a bike. And then I invited my girlfriend said, hey, do you want to go, go around South America with me on a motorcycle? So she jumped on a plane and came over. And then we were off and running. And we didn't know how long it was going to take. We had, we had uh, you know, just a general idea. And we had all kinds of things along the way. Uh, do you know what, um, what far, the FARC is in Colombia? Yeah, no. Oh, okay. That's the the gorillas, uh, and they're they're not the they're not the apes. They're the ones with rifles. So you know we, we've uh, we've gone through, and I've been pulled over by you know guys with rifles where I you know I, I play dumb and eventually uh, you know get past all of that. And we went uh, all the way down to the tip, the southernmost point in uh, in South America, which is Ushuaia. And we went through, oh gosh, Ecuador, Peru. One of my favorite places was Bolivia. And in Bolivia, they've got uh, the, uh, the salt flats, Salar de Uni. And it's absolutely unbelievable and one of the best experiences that I've ever had. Uh, and, and we did a, a several day tour, super, super cheap, you know, staying out uh, in the flats just everything i mean it's overwhelming with how beautiful it is and i, I mean i definitely definitely re recommend it and i've got other friends that uh, went before me on motorcycles so i would follow them and they took their motorcycles out on the salt flats and then all but one of them had their motorcycles uh stop working because of the salt and the corrosion and so you know i knew not to take my bike on and it wasn't worth the risk so that's why i booked a tour and went, went around in a in a nice vehicle on that sort of stuff and you learn from it and then here's something, I, depending on how much you followed you, me, you may or may not know this. Uh, when we were getting close to uh, Cusco in Peru, my girlfriend uh, ended up breaking her leg. And so that threw a wrench into things. And uh, so she, she uh, I won't tell you the story, but uh, it was a really slow speed wreck. You always blame the driver on that. Uh, I like to say she got off the bike wrong. So it's somewhere in the middle between those two. 
but she ended up uh, breaking her leg. And when I say broke her leg, you know, it was like, uh, you know, both bones broken like a flopping fish. And that was an experience where, you know, we go into a car, we get taken to the local hospital. I have to get uh, drug tested, uh, which is standard over there to make sure that there wasn't a, wasn't a problem. Then she gets taken over to the other hospital in Cusco, which is now we're away into an ambulance. I had to return and my bike was essentially impounded for inspections. I uh, went through all of that, but here's the crazy part. When you go into a lot of these different countries, you have to have insurance on your on your vehicle and you buy it at the border. So going into Peru, we bought insurance, which was $30 for the motorcycle. And it was a real blessing that the police and everything got involved. He, and, and in this accident, there were no other vehicles involved. So we have all of these police reports and everything. Long story short, because the police were involved, we had a record, we had everything, we get to the hospital and that $30 insurance covered all expenses for her broken leg. We were in the hospital for about two weeks because she had to wait for one week with the broken leg while she was waiting on the parts of the titanium to come from another city, but it was all paid for. So earlier you mentioned about insurance in the US and how it's expensive. And so $30 covered a broken leg in Peru and that's pretty cool. And then we go all the way down. We caught uh, all of the beautiful things in Chile and Argentina, Patagonia, absolutely gorgeous. Um, we've you know frozen our butt off crossing the mountains, the snow. Uh, you you saw a lot of the different pictures, and you know I think you can find some of that on my Instagram as well for those that are interested. And then uh, we came all the way back up and sold the bike, and all told it was a five month trip. And here's one of my favorite parts, Tim. The total cost of that trip for two people was $81.55 per day. That included haircuts, repairs on the bike, uh, fuel, every cost that you can imagine. The only thing it doesn't include would be the loss that I had on the bike, which was probably $1,200 or $1,300 from when I bought it to when I sold it. Wow. That's, that's phenomenal. And you, you're right. I mean, what an experience that you had that now, you know, you can, that's just one of these things, you know, you stuff is replaceable. That's not, and that's phenomenal. No. And, and, you know, for most people, that is an epic trip of a lifetime. Now, now not everyone, but, but he wants to be on a motorcycle. I get that, but get the context of traveling South America, five months, doing what you want, when you want and how you want. That's an epic trip of a lifetime. And two of us did it for $81.55 per day. I mean, that breaks out to what, uh, you know, less than $42 per person. Come on, man. Most of you guys that are listening aren't living on that. And this is all what's possible, you know, out in the, in the rest of the world. And, you know, the United States is a wonderful country. And it's one of the places that when it comes to the opportunity to get ahead, it's one of the best places that I've ever seen. Of course, I think the world is changing now with the internet and the World Wide Web. But when it comes to living, there are so many places that I can live for a fraction of the cost that for me are more exciting. Uh, that, that's why my dream is traveling the world. And you know, for the next couple of years, I think that's what I'll be doing. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And listen, I know that there are people listening right now and we're about to wrap up here with a question or two, but there are people listening and some of this conversation might even make, be making them uncomfortable. They want to go out and experience more. 
they want to stretch and make themselves do some things like you're talking about. I, I know your YouTube channel is a great place to go because you provide tips and education and things on this, but just a few little tips for someone who might be listening, Jerry, as we're getting close to wrapping up here, they might be listening and they're uncomfortable and they just want to do more of what we've been talking about here. Encourage them or give them a tip or two that can just kind of help them. First tip is man up. And, and I mean that in the nicest, sincerest way possible. Man up, decide what you want and go for it. And then, you know, once you put your dream in motion and take action, it's going to happen if you work hard enough for it. And the second thing is now a lot of people get uncomfortable because of the money and the finances. And I completely understand that. And that's where you, you know, you've got to live within your comfort zone. And the first thing you need to do is get yourself a rainy day fund. If that rainy day fund for you is three months, six months, whatever it might be, get there so you've got something to fall back on. Because let's say you did something crazy and you spent a month in a foreign country or six months, you've got the finances for it. Worst case, you can come back and do what you've always done. And for me, when I took off and I moved to uh, Chiang Mai, Thailand uh, over five years ago, I had a fledgling business. I think it was uh, bringing in less than $3,000 per month. But I knew that I could save the, save money by living abroad. And that fledgling business simply grew to over seven figures. And, you know, it would have never happened if I didn't man up and say I'm going for it. That's good. Take action, too. I kind of took that. So, Jerry, this has been so much fun. I knew it would be. I knew just from interacting, you and I, it's been a long time since we've connected. But uh, just a couple things to wrap up here. What What's next for you? Just in general or specific or whatever? What's next? What's next? Well, uh, the next thing on the agenda is going to Georgia. Looking forward to that uh, because it's coming into spring and it's a warm time of the year there. So it, it's an absolutely beautiful country. I love the food there. I'll get the stem cell treatment. I've got high hopes for that. And after that, it might be Armenia. And we're starting to work on my girlfriend's uh, Shenzhen, next Shenzhen visa passport. And if she can get uh, everything through for that, we'll probably spend uh, about 90 days over the next uh, four or five months in Europe. And most of that will, some three months will probably be in three different countries in Europe that are in the Shenzhen. And then we'll spend the other time in the other European countries that aren't part of Shenzhen. And for those that don't understand, Shenzhen is a region of cooperating countries where if you can enter one of the countries and you can go in and out through a range of different countries. And then there are some countries like Bulgaria that's in Europe, but it doesn't participate in Shenzhen. So you can go there separately. So we'll bounce between those countries. Yeah, that's exciting. And I do want to clarify, he's going to the country of Georgia, not the state of Georgia. So anyway, the title of the podcast, Jerry, is Seek, Go, Create. Which one of those words jumps out at you and why? What's one of those words that uh, speaks to oh, you? Oh, man, I would have to say probably go because I'm an action-oriented guy. So, you know, uh, you know, go for it, whatever it is, man. You got to go. You don't want to sit in one place, so go. That's awesome. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I so much appreciate you. And I just, I just speak blessings on you as you travel and I'm going to be following you and let's stay connected. I mean, it could be that it might be fun to circle back in a year or two and just have more conversation, 
For those listening, I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have. I do have a big favor to ask. Please subscribe if you're not already subscribed. That will connect you with us so that you do not miss any episodes. We usually release, in fact, we always release a new episode every Monday, but we have been known to add bonus episodes on Thursdays, and uh, and those are always excellent. And so please like, share, and give us reviews because we appreciate that. I think everyone knows by now that I am a coach for business owners, executives, and leaders. And let me just tell you what I really love doing. I love doing this podcast, but I really love getting on the line with people, getting on the phone, getting on a video call, and just helping people, organizations become all that they were designed and created to be. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give away some free coaching calls every month and hopefully speak to you about your business, your ministry, your leadership role, or help you brainstorm new ideas, pivot your business, make some changes, do whatever we need to do to help it move to the level that you want it to go to. So I'm going to give away three free coaching calls per month. And here's all you have to do. All you need to do is send an email to connect at timwinders.com. That's connect at timwinders.com and just I'm going to spell it out here timwinders t-i-m-w-i-n-d-e-r-s.com that's pretty cool I'm able to spell my name that's exactly my name connect to timwinders.com and in the subject line all you need to say is something like I want a coaching call with Tim my team will attempt to get it on the schedule I'm going to uh, I'm going to most likely do three each month if I could get more in I will but they will probably take the first three every month get it on the schedule, reach out to you, and then they'll uh, they'll just schedule a 30-minute Zoom video call. They may also reach out and get some questions from you about your business and some of the things you want to discuss and talk about. And we will just get online and, and we'll have fun with it. Again, I love doing this. It's what I believe I'm called to do. And so I will look forward to hearing from you and getting those emails so that we can get online and help you and your business. I look forward to hearing from you and I look forward to us getting on a coaching call together. Thank you again for listening. We look forward to connecting with you on the Seek Go Create podcast in the near future.